hello. Good afternoon. Um, my name is uh, uh, Dr. Andrew Flynn, and I'm a reader in the Department of Information Studies. I'm not going to detain you very long in, in introducing my colleagues here, just to say that this is being live-streamed and uh, filmed for a vlogcast podcast. Um, so, uh, for without really further ado, I'm just going to introduce our two speakers. So, Dr. Elizabeth Shepherd has been Professor of Archives and Records Management in the Department of Information Studies uh, since 2011, and her research interests are in rights, records, and the links between records management and information compliance and government administration, including the project that she's going to talk to you about. And uh, doc Dr. Victoria Hoyle was, until recently, the research associate on the MIRA project um, in the Department of Information Studies, but she is now a research associate in the Department of History at York, working on the About Face project. Thank you. Great. So thank you very much um, for the opportunity to speak today about our project. And uh, Victoria and I are going to take it in turns to present our research and our findings. Records and archives gives, give families and individuals access to shared histories and values. In family settings, written records and photographs document significant events, celebrations and milestones. But for some people, such as looked-after children, these are missing. Many people who grew up in care have gaps in their memories and questions about their own lives. In the absence of family records, they make subject access requests to local authorities, charities, schools, the health service and others for answers. Organisational records contain their personal histories. Recent research at UCL brings together care leavers, academics, social workers and information and records professionals to explore the challenges this process presents. MIRA, Memory, Identity, Rights and Records and Access, is a two-year UK Arts and Humanities Research Council funded project in partnership with the Care Leavers Association exploring information rights and responsibilities in child social care records. This paper will draw on the findings of the research to explore how care leavers' experiences might inform human-centred and participatory approaches to caring record-keeping. There are over 75,000 children and young people in care in England today, living either with foster parents, in residential homes or kinship care. It's estimated that about half a million British adults had some experience of out-of-home care during their childhoods. While individual experiences of care vary enormously, most care leavers share something in common. Their lives have been intensively documented by social workers, health workers and carers. The MIRA project is based in the Department of Information Studies at UCL. Our aim is to understand the role that records and record-keeping play in child social care. We focused on the lifelong value of records for the people they document. How does what is written about children and young people impact on them, not only while they're in care, but long into adulthood? And how could the processes of creating, managing and providing access to records be positively changed to better support care leavers? These visual minutes from one of our workshops give you some sense of the themes we have focused on. While this particular project takes England as a case study, the findings are relevant to the wider UK and international context and speak to research and practice elsewhere in the world. 
Mirror is a participatory research project which has brought university researchers and care leavers together to address questions around access to records for care-experienced people and the quality, content and management of those records. The research group comprised four academics and 11 care-experienced co-researchers. And the group together discussed which questions to ask, who to talk to, and most importantly, what we wanted to ultimately achieve. We wanted to generate a discussion that will lead to positive change for care leavers and to support the social care and information practitioners who work with them. We've spoken to over 80 research contributors and our conclusions come directly from this body of research. We identified four key groups to speak to. These were care experienced people aged 18 plus whose lives are captured in the records, social care practitioners who create and use the records in their work, information professionals who manage and provide access to the records and researchers who use the records in their studies. In between and overlapping these core groups are other stakeholders who emerged during the project, including carers and family members, regulators like Ofsted and the Information Commissioner's Office, funders, government departments, historians, and ICSA, the Independent Inquiry into Child Sexual Abuse in the UK. Each of these groups has a perspective on child social care record keeping and different needs and rights in the records. For care leavers, the records may represent the only access they have to the circumstances of what happened to them as children. They may contain information about their identity, as well as details of their past, which they either never knew or have forgotten. They have a right to request access to them. Many of our care experienced co-researchers spoke about having to disentangle their life and themselves from their file. For social workers, the records are necessary to doing their jobs and safeguarding children, but they may also be burdensome and time consuming. For information managers, the records may be part of an organisation's account of itself and its actions, subject to retention schedules, presenting storage and preservation challenges. For researchers, the records may provide insight into historical, sociological or economic studies. We wanted to understand how these rights and needs overlap, how they conflict and contradict each other, and what impact they have. During the project, we ex examined six key theme areas in two strands. At the top of this slide, issues surrounding access to records for care experienced people, usually later in life, including redaction and the removal of third party information, and the provision of support services. Below, record keeping practices, including the language and content of records, records management procedures, digital systems, and memory and identity work, such as life story work. Why do this research? We were inspired by the work of the Access to Care Records campaign group, which reported uh, in It's My Journey, It's My Life. And that report set out the multiple challenges that care experienced people face when accessing their records. We were also inspired by work internationally, including in Australia, the Find and Connect project. Earlier work highlighted that care experienced people's unique needs and experiences aren't understood. 
the potential emotional impact of accessing records and of reading about childhood experiences that may have been traumatic or misrecorded is rarely taken into account. Access and recording practices across the country are highly inconsistent with a postcode lottery. So our co-researcher Darren requested his file three times at three-year intervals and received different documents each time, differently redacted. Support services are lacking, although accessing your files can be traumatic as well as therapeutic. Records management is inadequate. There's poor contextual information about historic care provision, and there is a lack of advice about how to apply generic legislation, the Data Protection Act, to an emotional and personal journey. There was a strong ethical and moral imperative for this research. Many care leavers turned to their social care records as primary sources to understand their childhoods, answer critical questions about what happened to them, and seek justice for abuse and neglect. In the case of one of our contributors, Susan, finding her records enabled a criminal proceeding that brought an abuser to justice 30 years after she had first reported them. She'd spent over 20 years searching for her records, and her words really strike home the value of child social care records. We often co-present with a care leaver, but we are not doing that today, and instead, in a place of that, I'd like to now play you a short film about our project, which we made together, and which underlines some of these points. And I think it will show you why we think this work really matters. Let's get this to work. In the Mirror Project, Memory, Identity, Rights in Records and Access, a group of researchers from UCL has worked together with the Care Leavers Association and a participatory research group of care leavers and care experienced people. We have tried to bring together our understanding of uh, records management and information access and governance to try to understand how that can be used to improve the lives of care experienced people. I left care at the age of 16 and it was in prison where I, um, I had about my care files. I was a youth worker at the time. I had no idea before then that the local authority has got information about me and my time in their care. I was in my 20s and I'd not heard that I could access care records. So when I found out I could apply for my file, then I immediately wanted to apply for that information. I just wanted to try and um, put some of my memories back together because it became all jumbled up. I had some gaps in my history, gaps in my life that I wanted answers to, needed filling in. I did want to see, you know, like a little pattern of my past and see, you know, how it was written. I think it was probably quite more traumatic than I thought it would be, even going through the process of contacting people to access the records. It's meant to take a month and in my case it took over a year. 
The early impact on receiving my file was um, hugely emotional. It was a lot to take in in one go. I'd gone from a stage of not knowing the file existed to suddenly being presented with years and years of uh, my life and care. I found it very upsetting and I know that some people who've accessed their files are sadly no longer with us because they couldn't bear the information that they read. I found that it was more years down the line that it really affected me. There's so much um, emotional stuff that overwhelms you. You do need to put it down at some point and come back to it when you're emotionally capable or emotionally ready to deal with that. There's a real responsibility for practitioners to think about how that information might be received, in particular if it refers to a time of life where there was trauma. One day there's going to be someone like me that gets a whole collection of these reports and that's, that's my life. People need to be mindful that how stuff is written will impact on how that person feels about themselves. When records are, are written, they need to remember that this is a person. A lot of feelings and emotions are put across as if they're mine and I didn't always feel that way. What's sad about it is that my voice is really not in that, in that document. There's 126 pages, you have to get to page 51 before you hear me talk. There were silly things redacted from my file or blacked out. In the older records that um, my organisation has and other organisations have, the recording is very light touch. There's very little detail or emphasis on, on the actual child or young person or, or family group. There's not a great deal of involving the young person in, in the conversation around uh, what's going to be recorded or what their views are. Even as a, as a professional, as you're working on the files, that's actually quite sad because you know that that young person is, is there, but they almost don't feature in their own files. The records did not reflect the true relationship I had with my dad. The interpretations were inaccurate and the actions that were, take, that were taken were inaccurate. It is important that when information is being recorded by professionals, it's transparent. I think social workers do have a duty as a kind of corporate parent to try and think about the person's perspective and make it as clear as possible. Local authorities don't necessarily make people aware of the fact that you can access your files. I've been investigating with colleagues how we can make the accesses much easier for records relating to, um, to children in care. That information needs to be made as accessible as possible and that's why we've created the Family Connect project. It's one place where there'll be advice, information and support about how to search for information about your past but also what you might expect to come across in that journey of searching for information. For people who are care experienced, words, pictures are part of their identity and without identity there is no life. Our hope is that through the Mirror Project and through the partnerships that we've built during the course of the research that we'll be able to make a real tangible difference in supporting care leavers to exercise their information rights at the same time as supporting social workers and information practitioners to understand their information responsibilities.
So local authorities, as corporate parents, have this legal responsibility to ensure that information is kept about each child in their care. And that's been true to a greater or lesser extent since the Children Act of 1948. And since 1989, records have had to be kept for at least 75 years for both the accountability of the care provider and for the care leaver who may want to access their file later in life. What results is commonly known as a care file, a compilation of professional observations, reports, <coughs> assessments and plans that has no real equivalent in family life. Care leavers may have very few photographs or keepsakes or memory objects from their childhoods, but if they request their records, they will be confronted with the product of a bureaucratic system which has analysed their every action. As Australian care leavers Jacqueline Wilson and Frank Golding have observed, this scrutiny of an official gaze may feel like a form of surveillance, a sentiment that was echoed by John George, the contributor in the film, who said to me, it's a little bit like being under observation by the Stasi. But it may be one of the good things about having been in care, as suggested by another of our contributors, for whom it provided access to the minutiae of daily life from 40 years ago. So now I want to share with you some of the key findings and messages which we've gathered from the research illustrated by some further quotes from our co-researchers. So our research shows that many people who grew up in foster and residential care do have gaps in their childhood memories and unanswered questions about their early lives. They lack these photographs, shared stories and mementos which help to create a sense of belonging and identity. So care experienced people must turn to records created about them by state authorities and voluntary organisations. Thousands of these requests are made in England each year under the subject access provisions of the data protection legislation. However, care leavers report multiple challenges, first in finding, then in accessing and then in understanding their records. Bureaucratic processes and heavy redaction, the blacking out of third-party information, as well as a lack of support, leave people confused, frustrated and traumatised, which here is explained by our co-researcher Darren as a cultural deficit. So in the first instance, finding information about how to access your records is difficult. And as Elizabeth mentioned, processes are different for each organisation and unfamiliar terminologies are used. Subject access, third party information is the language of legislation and not everyday life. Once a request has been made, care leavers often have to wait a long time. And at the end of that long wait, sometimes their records are missing or nothing or very little has survived. In this way, individuals may spend years trying to identify and secure access to records about themselves. Once they do secure access, reading those records may reinforce the worst memories of childhood, lacking positive narratives or key memories. With some notable exceptions, we found that few organisations provide emotional support for this. A culture of compliance around records access rather than caring means that very little thought was put into the mode of delivery or the presentation of the records. The provision of counselling, for example, or any thought about the long-term impacts on the recipients. And our co-researcher Linda explained her experience of reading her file here. 
When records are received, they've often been heavily censored through redaction, which is rarely explained in understandable language. Our research found many instances of removed information which could have been provided, but the redactor had not properly understood the rights and existing knowledge of the recipients, and nor used their discretion <coughs> in the disclosure of information under the law, which led to people receiving pages and pages look, look, that look just like this. As social care records are interpersonal by their nature, and information relating to parents, siblings, and extended family members may be critical to a person's life history. This kind of extensive redaction often left people feeling powerless, frustrated, and angry and suspicious about what had been removed. Redaction is the main area of tension in the access process, and that's true both for the care lever and for the staff who are making the decisions about disclosure. For the care lever, the redaction often seems random and nonsensical, Whereas for the staff, it's a psychological burden that's also heavily resource-intensive, especially when you're talking about files a thousand or more pages long. We found that care leavers have many different reasons to access their records. They may wish to fill gaps in their memories or answer questions, such, such as why was I taken into care or where did I live at this particular time. They might be looking for medical information or they might be pursuing a case uh, against abuse. In many cases, we found that the scope, quality, and content of the records is insufficient to produce meaningful chronologies of events and don't answer these questions. Digital records at keeping systems uh, are often a barrier now with word limits, checkboxes, and fixed workflows which frustrate social workers and reduce the child to an administrative process. Jargon, euphemistic language, prejudicial and judgmental perspectives, especially in older records, create a subjective narrative that is nevertheless viewed as an authoritative version of a young person's life. This perspective may differ significantly from the experiences of the child. Gina told us why she wanted to access her files here, but they didn't always answer her questions. And we also found that records were more likely to capture negative behaviour or events than positive. Where positive language was used, it was often to describe the impact of social workers' interventions rather than the experiences or decisions of the child themselves. And as a result, the records didn't capture the little good things that a person needed to reconstruct a positive perspective on themselves. Instead, they reinforced a catalogue of the individual's apparent failings, mistakes, and bad behaviour. Partly this might be explained by the fact that the voices of children and young people are often entirely missing from their records, and where they're present, they're paraphrased by a practitioner. Historically, records may have been authored by abusers or people who ignored abuse, and even today, children and young people are rarely able to read or amend their records. And as a result, they may feel disenfranchised and also lack trust in record keeping, knowing that their voice won't be represented. And that undermines an individual's ability to make sense of their life, value and identity through time. The capacity to keep personal memory objects such as photographs and childhood toys, souvenirs, as part of the record is also extremely limited. And as a result, the care leavers we spoke to had very few photographs of themselves as children. 
So records don't centralise the voice of the child who's silenced by the perspectives and interpretations of social workers. As a result, people like John George here may feel alienated from the information they find in their records and uh, experience conflicted memories. We also found that records management of social care records across the sectors was a low priority and had been for many years. Many organisations had large stores of paper and digital records over which they had very little physical or intellectual control, putting those records at risk. The introduction of digital systems had been seen as a solution, but without any proper consideration of the long-term sustainability or digital preservation of those systems. Standards across organisations was highly variable, with some unsure of where records were stored, their state of preservation, or how they could be accessed. Less than 20 years after the introduction of digital systems, many records were already stuck in inaccessible programmes or in formats which could no longer be opened. In terms of intellectual control, there were no catalogues or indexes of records which were sufficient to identify material relating to an individual, and nor did people know when, how, or why records had been created, how decisions about them had been made, what had been lost or disposed of, or where their organisations had merged, changed jurisdiction, or closed. Organisations uh, rarely have archival arrangements for their records, either for individual use or public benefit. And John George explained here why this focus on safeguarding and compliance and a lack of care in record keeping really matters in the long term. He talks here about not just a duty of care for well-being, but a duty of care uh, for your soul, for your lifetime. Increasingly, records relating to services to children in care are created and maintained by private and voluntary organisations as part of the outsourcing of children's services. And this is increasingly the case, and there's often a lack of clear contractual obligations about what will happen to these records in the long term. So that while multi-agency working has helped to facilitate information sharing, it's also vastly increased the potential for duplication, error, and omission of records about an individual held by multiple organisations across multiple systems. These different digital systems are generally proprietary and very rarely interoperable. And one of our record keeper interviewees gave an example of some of the complexities that they had come across in trying to pass out records of children's homes. The legislative and regulatory landscape which governs records of out-of-home care is also fragmented across more than a dozen acts and statutory regulations. Overlapping regimes of information legislation, data protection, freedom of information, and social care legislation are rarely comprehensively understood. And our research found that as a result, there was a widespread confusion about what was and wasn't legal. And that made it difficult for those involved in record keeping to understand their responsibilities and for care leavers to exercise their information rights. It also made organisations incredibly risk averse, for example, in the form of excessive redaction. We found that organisations frequently cited legislation and regulation as a reason to limit access to records and as the reason that they couldn't change their practices. 
Rosie explained here what happened when authorities don't understand this law properly uh, through redaction um, and the way that that has a real uh, significant emotional impact on people. Finally, we found that records of state, voluntary and private care organisations are often closed to research and independent scrutiny. This is especially troubling in cases where records have been submitted to the current independent inquiry into child sexual abuse and where there is significant public interest in further historical investigation of actions and decisions. At present, organisations can present their own narratives of past events and injustices without external verification. While researchers can be, access, be granted access to institutional records of care, we found a range of barriers in place. For example, organisations lacked a clear protocol for researchers and applied varied and generally risk-averse interpretations of the legislation, with a lack of awareness about the public interest provision for research. Third sector and public sector organisations are not obliged to provide researchers with any access to their archives and records. They're not subject to the Freedom of Information Act because this only applies to public authorities. And this is true even where organisations provide services which have been commissioned and are being funded as part of a public task, as part of social work. And an academic researcher, uh, Gordon, um, he had some sympathy uh, with archivists but was frustrated by the variety of responses to requests to view child social care records, especially where they relate to living individuals. And these ranged from condition-free access uh, to um, complete refusal of access. One researcher encountered over a dozen different access processes and spent 15 months negotiating access to records. Requests to view the same type of document such as an admission or a discharge register, was treated differently by different archives. And these inconsistent responses could be received from a single archive at a different time, which meant that it's very difficult for researchers to plan and carry out research in this field. And I'll hand back to Elizabeth. So, in response to this, the Mirror Project has made us four recommendations um, and developed a set of principles and a toolkit to support organisations to meet the recommendations, at least as so far as is currently possible within the law. The first recommendation is that records should be co-created by all those involved in a child's care, including the child, and orientated much more towards the perspective of the child centralising their voice. Secondly, that all organisations with safeguarding responsibilities and guardianship of children's memories should have a records management plan for child social care records to outline processes for records creation, sharing and retention, including longer-term archival preservation. Thirdly, best practice approaches to access to records for all care-experienced people and for research in the public interest should be developed. Protocols that balance the rights, needs and wishes of care experienced uh, people, the responsibilities of institutions and the public benefit of the research. Practical and emotional support is absolutely vital and should be made universally available to people of any age underpinning access to records of potentially traumatic nature. 
Fourthly, guidance on the application of the data protection legislation should be produced which supports organisations and practitioners to comply in reasonable, caring and considerate ways. Redaction decisions should be informed by an understanding of the specific circumstances of the individual's care experience and their unique needs and a recognition of their right to understand their personal histories. The Information Commissioner's Office currently considers that the Data Protection Act mechanism is adequate to care leavers' needs. Our researchers disagree. So our ambition now is to generate resources from our findings to support three core actions. First, to support care leavers' rights to information, memory and identity through the creation of access to records resources that fill some of the gaps currently in understanding this process. And we're working with the Care Leavers Association and Family Action to do this and we anticipate the new Family Connect website launch in January. Secondly, to influence public policy debates about social care records by the creation of research briefs targeted at influencers and decision makers in government. In the Information Commissioner's Office, ICSA, the National Archives and Ofsted. Then to support practitioners and researchers to exercise their record keeping responsibilities by co-creating a record keeping framework that responds to the multiple needs of all parties. A key feature of the record keeping framework are the 45 principles developed with our co-researchers which aim to embody love and caring through record keeping. They are fundamentally about putting care experienced people at the heart of all record keeping processes. So this, the first principle from which all others stem, is that care experienced people should be able to participate in every stage of child social care record keeping if they choose. And we're working now on how best to publish the draft framework. So the principles aim to shift the focus of records and record keeping away from risk management, bureaucracy and compliance and towards their role in supporting the well-being, identity and personal history of individuals throughout their lives. The creation of records should not be seen as a burden on overworked social workers but as a key part of therapeutic practices. Records management tasks such as indexing, retention and disposal become implicated in serving and supporting the needs of those with emotional and personal connections to the record. And information governance is resituated as a human rights function which has the capacity to heal rather than hurt. This is still a work in progress. We're hoping to get some follow-on funding to enable us to continue to explore the application of the principles in practice um, and particularly to work with a software provider. And we've been working on a representation of human-centred participatory child social care record keeping to try to envisage what that would look like. There are now several country case studies of care leavers' rights and moving on to comparative and multinational work is an obvious next step. So in conclusion, this research has sought to enable care experienced people to untangle themselves and their childhood from their file. 
to make their voice heard in the record through time and to move from a culture of record keeping for compliance towards a culture of caring and human-centered record keeping. So if you are interested in our work, we would love to hear from you. We'd love to get your feedback. There are lots of resources online. And there's also a little postcard on your desks. And if you have any immediate responses that you would like to leave with us today, we'd be delighted to read them and hear from you. Thank you so much for your attention. Uh, thank you, Elizabeth Victoria. I think we've got time for one, possibly two very quick questions. Um, can you wait until the mic, there's a mic coming down towards you and uh, um, I think we've got a couple of minutes. So. Thank you. Thanks. Um, you mentioned that uh, you work with 11 care leavers. Yes. Uh, can I ask how old were these care leavers? Um, the 11 co-researchers ranged in age uh, from their early 20s to their late 60s, uh, but in addition to the co-research group, we also interviewed a wider cohort of care leavers um, uh, who ranged in age uh, from 18 uh, to 87. Um, so yes, it was a very broad group so in terms of age. Yeah, that's the reason why I ask is because the difference between the 18 years old or 20 years old who left care two years ago is different from the experience Definitely. of, you know what I mean? Yeah. So times have changed and I guess local authorities have changed as well. Yeah, I think I would, I would you're absolutely correct, that is the case. And if you request your records and you were in care in the 1960s, what you would receive is very different to what you'd receive if you were in care in 2018. Mm -hmm. However, what we found was that the experience of accessing the records from the perspective of the individual was not so dissimilar because some of the same issues continue, um, particularly around the voice of the child and also around accessibility. So the process of accessing the records is the same, um, even though the records you receive are, are, are very, very different. So what about the type of information? Yeah, very different kinds yeah. of information recorded at different, according to the legislation, according to the record keeping systems in place, but also according to the nature of the parent organisation. Some are local authorities, you know, charities, and, and that had quite a big influence. Mm -hmm. But even then, you couldn't really generalise or characterise that. It, it seemed to be that the individual care file varied an awful lot depending on the individual social workers or lawyers or police who'd worked on that file. So although there were some obvious parameters, Really, it became it was ex um, surprisingly individual to the particular case. Okay, so one more question. I think we just got somewhere just there. <laughs> um, I'm really interested to hear your views on um, the kind of ownership of data and how that's changed with. Uh, mobile technology and like nowadays children or and especially into kind of adolescence in care have access to things that create data that's much more visceral and kind of pictures and etc what are your thoughts on that and how that might change with the kind of current cohort in care mm. um it, i think it is certainly changing um the the work that we did with 
a, a group of younger care leavers mm. demonstrated that the majority of their memory resources actually were things that they had created and then curated themselves using social media. Um, so they uh, had albums of photographs from when they were sort of 13, 14, 15 years old because that's when they started to use Facebook um, in this particular instance and, and to have mobile phones and their own devices. So yes, I think that is going to, that is going to make uh, a lot of difference and I know that some uh, local authorities and other care providers um, are utilising apps and things like that to try and capture some of that data and transfer it into uh, the care file. Um, I think there are obvious challenges around the long-term preservation of that material, not just for care leavers, but for all of us um, in the way that we curate our memories and how available those will be to us in, in 50, 60 years' time. Um, but I think it is also changing the way that young people think about memory curation in ways that we perhaps didn't touch on so much in the research, but that will be really interesting to investigate further. And part of the ambition of the follow-on project is to think about how mm -hmm. co-production of the record with young people through the use of social media or other tools might be a really valuable way of, um, of, kind of, en of enhancing them, their lifelong memory resources. That's right. They're created by the corporate parent. They're owned by the corporate parent. And the care experienced person is the subject. Mm. So the records are about them. Mm. They're not, they don't belong to them and they're not for them. They're, they're about them. And that's the shift that we want to see is to put the care experienced person needs rights in the middle rather than the corporate parent's legal responsibilities. So it's completely sort of turn around but that's not what the law says at the moment yeah. and so practices of corporate parents tend to follow compliance with the law more than the kind of caring so there's an interesting opportunity in terms of because you could you could you could the impact of this in mm. social evidence research further might be that local authorities will attempt to uh, store and collect different types mm. of media in yes, a different yes. way but that's that right. is still going to be owned by the local authority and the practitioners in more say than the individuals and mm. there's a, it's a really interesting opportunity for how can yeah. records uh, or the contribution of that kind yeah. of record that helps create memory and a sense of self and whether there's opportunity to have yeah. that produced by local authorities but owned that's right yeah. yeah yeah so a much and, more yeah owned and, and controlled as well mm. i think mm. you know that there are there is there are there are shifts in perspective so that certain record types are often seen as being owned by the individual. So photographs, for example, increasingly. Um, but yes, the, the real challenge is how do you negotiate this legal position? So organisations which organisations have to be compliant with, and this move towards more kind of co-productive um, shared control of, of information and memory assets. And at that really interesting point, which <laughs> I think could go on forever, I'm going to have to draw it to a close because I think there may well be people outside the door wishing to take on. So but, uh, one final thanks to our speakers today. Thank you.